0: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, normally uh, I'm staring at you. I've got that beautiful uh, natural light. I know you're at home. I I recognize the surroundings. But today it looks different. Uh, What's going on?
1: (laughs) What's going on? We have a little car issue. Uh, It's raining in L.A. And I happen to go through, I guess, a flooded area. And I think it... uh, I think it might have got in my engine and messed it up. So I'm now taking it out and trying to see what's going on because the car ran differently after I came out of that standing water. So we'll see what it looks like.
0: All right, Bucky, that's the soldier though. Bucky just soldiering on here, pushing through um, with a little car trouble, but that's not going to stop us from uh, recording the pod here. Uh, Some things we want to touch on today. We want to look at uh, what happened in that game last night. It's a big win for the Rams, man. Huge win for them uh, over the Cardinals. I want to talk a little bit about um, the importance maybe this year more than any other of the depth of your roster um, and that, how that can impact your special teams. And then finally, I want to look at, uh, at some things that we'll be looking for in wide receivers in the upcoming draft class. It's kind of we're in the middle of, of that study process as we get ready to welcome a new draft class into the National Football League. But I'll kick it to you first, Buck, just kind of your big takeaways last night, that game and, uh, and a big win for the Rams.
1: No, I thought it was a huge run for the Rams. And I think the thing that we saw from the Rams is the potential of what this team could be. And it's weird because they didn't have, uh, what, four of their starters. They didn't have Jalen Ramsey. uh, But offensively, man, it it looked like the way that we thought the offense would look. They made a better commitment to the running game. And even though Sonny Michelle isn't what I would call it a high-end runner, he does enough to make you have to pay attention. Uh, We saw better uh, integration of OBJ, we saw Van Jefferson and Cooper Cup all play roles in the passing game. And to me, it appeared like they played a little more under center and it gave their offense a different look. It gave it the look that it looked like in 18, 19, when they were really giving people problems. And so if they continue down that path, I think it's gonna be a problem for opponent.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things offensively, you know, Matthew Stafford played very well, um, but I think it was kind of the variety of targets now. I know, you know, Cooper Cup's been doing what he did all year long. He caught 13 balls on 15 targets, so productive and efficient there. But I think you mentioned Odell getting six for 77, getting him comfortable, especially down there in the red zone where he can create space and win. Um, You look at Van Jefferson giving you some of that over-the-top presence with the big home run ball and the 52-yard catch. So the ball is being able to find other people, especially without your tight end uh, in this ball game with Higby out. So – uh, I thought he did a nice job of not getting too uh, laser-locked on Cooper Cup and, and finding the open man, and I thought he played a really clean game. Sony Michel, um, longest run was 19 yards, had that one. Outside of that, there wasn't a lot of productivity in the run game, but they stuck with it enough to, again, provide some of that balance. Um, so I thought overall it was a pretty pretty clean game. might be the best game, in my opinion, that Stafford's played uh, with the Rams. I thought you had some explosive elements, but I also thought he was able to distribute the ball kind of just – just play quarterback, find the open man, and, and play a clean game, no turnovers. That was big.
1: Yeah, no, I thought, I thought it was solid. And I think that's the main thing. I think it's more important for them. It's not necessarily the, the rushing yards and the production. It's more the attempts because the attempts make you at least play honest. And I know the analytics people will say that, oh, you don't have to use, you don't have to run the ball effectively to do play action. But, yeah, you have to give the threat and the hint of being willing to run the ball to make people react. There's a human reaction that comes with seeing the ball stuck out Seeing the running back coming downhill and at least taking a step or two uh, in that direction to fill the gap, that creates those voids, And as long as they're able to do some of those things, they can be okay. I think the most impressive part of it was, defensively, they were able to make some plays and get some turnovers. We saw Aaron Donald dominate. Uh, We saw Von Miller make some plays and, and do some of those things. And if they can get that kind of production from the defense, they have a chance.
0: And I, I got to thinking here, too. We were talking about uh, Micah Parsons the other day and how they're using him you know, off the ball and as well as, as doing some stuff on the edge. But what they've been able to do is they've been able to identify one-on-ones and create matchups that they like working on guards. He got Sheriff the other day, who's one of the better guards in the league. But still, guards, if you can fan out protections and, and isolate guards and you have premier rushers, be it a down guy or a linebacker, you're going to win those battles. The guards just aren't equipped to be able to, hand, to work in that type of space against athletes like that. So we've seen it with Micah Parsons. We've seen the Chiefs' defense completely uh, uh, morph into a different unit with Chris Jones sliding back inside. He's just changed the whole thing because he's, he's a, such a disruptor in there. And then you look at Aaron Donald throughout his career, and you know, he's been the best defensive player of his era. But they've also been able to get him, obviously, as an interior guy, lined up on guard. So you're getting your best rusher against an athlete that's a little lesser than what you would have out there on the perimeter. And you can, by manipulating protections, you can fan it out and you can give those guys a little bit of a a dance floor there to work. I, I just think that's kind of. You know, I think it's the best formula for, for getting after quarterbacks is to be able to win inside. And I think teams are doing it, not only taking some ends and, and kicking them in to let them work on some guards, you can run games. The Patriots are notorious for running all those games to isolate guards. And, you know, the Cowboys, with their version of it, with, a, with an off the ball linebacker coming down uh, and working on guards. But that seems to be the trend right now of how you play great defense in this league.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's what you're trying to do is because you're trying to create, we always talk about it on Thursday night, finding Waldo. And a lot of times Waldo is an interior blocker because I always think about like guards as you don't necessarily need to be the best athlete at guard, but you need to understand how to work within the neighborhood. Meaning you always have body help, a tackle, a center, someone there. So you can make people kind of play and use the, the presence of people around you uh, to protect. And so when you're able to isolate them, we've seen some of these teams use these five man pressures where they put someone directly over the center, someone directly over the tackle. And so now, the second level rusher has an opportunity to work on the guard with a running start, like you've seen with Michael Parsons, but also having a outside guy that you move inside um, and being able to use quickness and speed and anticipation to be able to get there. Uh, It's one of the things that you have to do. And DJ, I'll say this, unless it's in, I mean, even with an athletic quarterback, the worst pressure that you can face is in your face because it changes where your eyes go. It takes someone who has, courage and conviction able to kind of sit in there and know that man oh I see the rush coming and I'm gonna stand right here and do it most of us aren't built like that and so that's why the pressure of the gut is the pressure that you really want to generate
0: yeah and we've seen it in some of the games where offenses have really struggled it's been because of that interior pressure look at these look at these Rams when they played Tennessee Jeffrey Simmons just took over the football game inside they had no answer for him he just completely disrupt the whole game so I think you have to be able to get that that pressure inside if you want to go deep into the tournament. I think you've got to be able to do that either with a down defensive tackle. You got to be able to kick a guy inside. You got to be able to run games to be able to get those ends on twists, being able to get inside on guards, or you got to have off the ball presence um that you can isolate these guys. But uh, that to me, is a trend you see around the league. The Patriots are as good as any team in the league at running games. like they they don't have to they don't have to send six and seven rushers. They can get home. Uh, with their four and five man rush because they run those games and they're able to get better rushers on the perimeter, isolated inside on guards. And um, I thought, you know, seeing Aaron Donald kind of disrupt that game was a great example of that. How about the the end of the game? I know, uh, you know, Greasy was lobbying hard on the broadcast for them to uh, to kick the long field goal early and save the touchdown for after the onside kick. I I did not agree with that. To me, I think you you effort once you're on that side of the field to go down there and get the seven, which is the most difficult challenge. And then once you've got the seven, then if somehow you can recover the onside kick, shoot, even if there's 35 seconds left, you, you, you only need one completion. You're in field goal range to go try and tie the game.
1: Yeah. I'm more in your camp than greasy. Like I think it's too hard to punch in seven. I think you want to take the time to try and figure that out. We've seen over and over and over again this year that field goal kickers, my like, kickers are able to knock down 50 plus yarders, 55, 60 yard kick. So, if you think about the spot on the field, you don't need to get to about the 35 or 40-yard line. That's a big square in, uh, a dagger route on the boundary that you're able to do. So now I think you have to try and get the seven when you can get the seven. Uh, it's too hard, especially too hard, like with a 30, 30 seconds left to try and move it down the field. It's too many things have to go your way. Somebody has to fall down, blow a coverage. Um, the odds are against you. I think you get the seven when you can early and then try to come back and figure out a way to get the long kick.
0: Yeah, and by the way, on our analytics discussion, we were having a back and forth on our text uh, chain the other day because, hey, Harbaugh joined my side, Buck. He joined my side. I got a lot of grief from you guys on Thursday night about uh, about whether to go for two in that situation where what? So it was are down uh, nine. So you down score, nine. you're down nine. Yeah. And then I was saying you go for two because then you know what you're chasing. You either It's either seven or you know you're going to need uh, a touchdown, a field goal. You were saying extend the game because it changes the way the opponent the opponent calls the game and puts more pressure on them. I, I think it's a toss-up. I could be kind of persuaded either way, but I was encouraged that Harbaugh joined the right side on that one.
1: Well, I understand that. I, I, I do wonder, like, on his card, I wonder if there's a time scenario when it comes to doing that, because I think it depends on how much time you have left in the game to be able to do it, because you have to be able to, like, look at the clock and kind of divvy up how many possessions are left in the game. Now, if it's eight, I mean, 10, 11 minutes left, nine minutes left where you have an opportunity where you know you can get the ball back maybe a couple of times, then that's one thing. But when you get to the late stages, like four minutes, man, it's hard to say like, hey, if we don't get it, we're going to have two possessions in under four minutes to be able to do. Damn. And also, I'm doing that thinking in the league. Like, look, it was an anomaly. And I'm laughing because I'm sitting on Twitter. And then I'm like, they never get an onside kick. And lo and behold, Justin about th- gets an onside kick. Like, just because because the odds have just have been so set since they changed the onside kick rules that you just don't get them back. And so that was the thing. But I understand people saying like, oh, at least you know. I get that, but I think there has to be some other factors involved in terms of the amount of time. You have to be able to, to divvy up like, how many possessions do we really think are going to be left in the game to give us an opportunity to play the game out like that? But I do understand, and I am not um, a guy who is anti-analytics or anti-going for it. But I think there has to be some context in terms of, hey, what is... How much time? What, what's the score? What's the situation? I don't know if it's you can just look at a simple sheet and say that it always plays out like this in every situation. But they no, weren't alone because smart. DJ, it was kind of like a perfect storm because because we saw the game on Thursday night with Pittsburgh do it. Um then everyone saw the Ravens game. But the Panthers and somebody did it in another game. And so it was like everything was happening on Sunday. I'm looking at Red Zone. I'm like, man, everybody, when it's nine, they're going for two. And so I was like, oh, I guess this is the craze. This is this is how mm-hmm. we do it. It's a new world.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think it's definitely a, it's a fascinating conversation. I don't think it's a one size fits all. Like you said, you got to understand kind of the context of the game and what it looks like to be able to inform your decision making there. Um, but definitely a trend in terms of going for two in a nine point game. Um, all right. Uh, coming right after this, I want to talk about uh, about the importance of depth on your roster. Maybe this year more than any other. We're going to talk about that right after this. All right, Buck. So we've seen it. Um, Gosh, yesterday, I think, man, just the number of uh, positive COVID tests that came back around the league was sky high. It looks like they're going to change some of the protocols um, uh, as well to try and help with what looks like kind of a a tick up here in the the spread of this thing. So, you know, I I do the Charger games. Looks like Slater, Rashawn Slater test positive. He could be out for their big Thursday night tilt against the Chiefs. There's you know, we saw the Rams game. We talked about that earlier about the guys uh, forced out of that one, including Jalen Ramsey. To me, I think, you know, in order to get to the tournament this year, more so than maybe any other year, even more so than last year, I think the challenge, the depth of your squad is challenged. This is a 17 game season for the first time. Um, and we're starting to see a new a number of guys miss games due to either injury or COVID. And to me, it's I've never seen a stress like this on the overall depth of a roster like this year.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think this year more than ever, you, you definitely have to have the depth in place to be able to get it done. And you have to continue to develop your guys. And I think that's why sometimes as scouts or whatever, we get frustrated when we don't see the young players play because we're seeing now more than ever, you have to have guys ready to play. And I know coaches get into their... Um, in-season mode where they're thinking about schemes and tactics and those things, but you can never forget the development of the player because, DJ, the team that is playing in early September is a lot different than the team that's playing December and January, and you have to get those guys ready to play, and you have to know we are going to have to play these guys, and these guys are going to have to get on the field, and um, it's one of those things, and so now it is a, a, a battle of attrition, a war of attrition in terms of who is going to be available for you in the postseason, and when you're looking at the teams, some of the teams that are sitting at the top, I mean, they have razor thin margins for error when it comes to overcoming an injury. So I'm kind of looking at the teams that are best positioned with some of the backups that can play prominent roles. Who is the team that is the more complete team? Because who knows, as you talked about like the COVID situation t- ticking up, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a lot of unknowns as we go into the tournament in a field where it is about as close in terms of competitiveness, as I've ever seen. Um, When we get to the playoffs, two through seven, man, I don't know how you're going to pick those games. I mean, each and every week, they're they're, they're bad teams that are knocking off good teams. It's going to be crazy in the postseason this year.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I think that people don't necessarily go to this level when you look at it, when you have guys out of the lineup, okay, now your backup special teamers are now having to play on offense or defense and take up bigger roles, Then you're calling guys up from the practice squad to fill in the back end of your roster and and to cover kicks. Now you look at a team like the Green Bay Packers, who've had a lot of injuries. Now they've they've been able to fight through it with their depth. They're playing, they're playing great on offense and defense. Their special teams stink. Um, and you can kind of look at that. And to me, I look at that and say, Well, man, when you're down some bodies, now you've got guys that are admirably filling in on, on defense, but now those guys who are core teamers are no longer in those exact same roles, and you've got new guys up in there. And so to me, I think. Man, if you're if you're structuring your practice with your practice squad guys, I almost think I maybe it's on a side field, Buck. But I'm trying to get extra special teams work with those guys who aren't even active; they're not even on your roster right now. But that's your those are the guys in waiting. And once this stuff all happens, once injuries and COVID positives take place, those guys are now out on the field, and they might not have to cover, but you know they don't have to you know start a corner, but they are going to be covering kicks, and so they need to be plugged in in the meeting room. To be dialed into what you're doing from a special teams plan, and I, to me, I think I'd be trying to get them some extra work even on the practice field in that regard because it's a three phase game, man. It's not just two phases.
1: You know, DJ, I think uh, it's important that we talk about the kicking game because the kicking game in the postseason is really, really important, and I think is one of those things we've said and watched Super Bowls and talked about how the Patriots have stolen Super Bowl victories because of their flawless execution in the kicking game, even being able to pin people down inside the ten yard line on kickoffs and punts being able to maybe run a fake, being able to set up a return, it is really important. And for a lot of the people that we have on special teams, even young guys, they've never played special teams before. And yeah. so you have newbies out there playing who don't know. And then on some of these practice squads, we've them some veterans, veterans who are great position players, but they've never contributed in their special teams. And so it has to be a, an interesting mix on how you get it done because you saw the other night. Jakeem Grant going for big yards on a punt return that should – stuff can't happen. It can't happen this time of year. And it is going to be one of the big underrated deciding factors in games and who moves on, who is able to win the kicking game and who is devoting the time and attention to the
0: kicking. It matters. Absolutely. I think it. it, sometimes it goes a little bit under the radar, but that can be a deciding factor um, as we come down the postseason. All right. I want to hit on uh, one more topic here. Uh, We'll take a quick break and come back and hit that one. But this is a a little draft-related topic that got me thinking this week. I want to get your thoughts. We'll do it right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, All right, Buck. So I'm, I've been uh, cranking out guys for the draft. I've, I've kind of worked through the top tier running backs and now I've kind of moved on to the receiver. So I'm, I'm going through those guys. And anytime I do that, one of the things that's helpful is you can kind of go back through and find our uh, our series that we did on the position prototypes, which is I would encourage people to do if you're kind of a draft junkie, if you hadn't checked that out. Um, go look that up and find our series because we went through every position and we talked to experts, you know, former coaches and players, um, about what we look for and what works at, at different positions helps in the evaluation process. So that's one part of it. The other thing is I like to go through the stats and just kind of look through the league, see what's playing well, see who's doing well, and see if we can't find something to, to help us in the evaluation process. So I'm looking at the receiving leaders. And if you look at them right now, I'm going to give you kind of these top guys, and uh, I want to get your thoughts on it. But we've got number one Cooper Cup uh, with 1,489 yards, which is ridiculous, followed by Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Chris Godwin, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel. Those are your top seven guys. Not only are all those guys you know, pretty versatile, I think you can make that case. To me, the one trait that they all share, because there's different heights you know, with them, different speeds, these guys are all strong. They play strong. And I'm talking about strong off the line. I'm talking about strong getting out of their breaks and strong through contact. And I think maybe that's a maybe that's something we need to pay a little more attention to when we're going through that evaluation process.
1: Yeah, DJ, I think it's funny. Like those top 10 guys, I think there's a couple of things to draw from that. You talk about like their playing strength. You know, it's funny. A couple of years ago, it seemed like the game was trending where we're getting these big basketball players on the perimeter. Yeah. It, was, it was about size. It was about being able to win 50-50 balls and those things. And now it seems like it's going back. And we've talked about it. Like the guys who are really making it in the draft are the skilled guys, the craftsmen, the guys that are outstanding route runners and uh, are able to win in a different way. They're not just necessarily using their superior size and strength to do it. I think what you are bringing up with Cooper Cup and Jefferson and Adams and Jamar Chase and Tyreek Hill and whatever, it's a combination. I think you have to have kind of one or the other, and you would like to have a blend, I think you need to be able to be an outstanding route runner to create separation in space. And so you need to have enough quickness and skill to be able to do that. But then I think it's the strength that you need to be able to run after the catch. Um, We've talked about it on here. I've told you about like being told and advised, hey, look for guys who have pump return skills in the background because they're traditionally... Strong open field runners, they are able to kind of elude and evade in traffic, and they kind of run through those arm tackles. And when you look at Cup and uh, let's say Cup, Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, Lockett, Deontay Johnson, Diggs, all of those were accomplished punt returners um, during their time. Uh, John Devontae Adams caught him. And You know when we go on the school call, we would always talk to guys like, "Hey, I know he doesn't, he doesn't return punts, but can he catch him. Has, yeah. has he practiced him? Does he have that?" In his bag, because we were talking about that. Not only for the hand-eye coordination, but oh, that means he has enough courage to go back there, and maybe they use him in a pinch. Um, I think the strength thing is is unique because it's one of those things where you have to see it. You have to see yeah. it on tape. Do you see him kind of play through contact? Do they play through the press? Um, can they play through and run through arm tackles in the perimeter? It's, it's all of that, and so it's nothing that you can necessarily quantify but like, oh, let me go to the weight room and let me see that if. How does he functionally play when their body's around him and their defender's knocking him around? Can he stay on the line and do those things? Because we've seen big guys that play small, but we're now seeing a ton of small guys that are playing bigger than their listed weight, and I think it's really important.
0: Yeah, that's why, to me, when you can find the guys that have the juice um, but also have the play strength as well, like Jamar Chase is a great example of that. This is why this guy's so dang good and why this is just the beginning for him. He's 6'1", 200-pound guy, so he's got enough size to him. That's a He's a sturdy, strong dude. You see that after the catch. Um, but he's got real juice, Buck. Like, this is not just a slant comeback, you know, dig guy. Like, he can get over the top and run away from you as well. That's what kind of, to me, can take his game to, a, to kind of a unique level because of that combination. Now, he's not as tall as Julio, um, but you think about the Julio prime years. He does a lot of those same types of mm-hmm. things that, that Julio did. That's uh, you know, that's hard to find those guys, man. A lot of times you get the speed guys, you sacrifice some of that, maybe a little more slight, a little light, um, and, and you don't really have that play strength to go along with it. Or you get, you know, big, stiff, straight line, fast guys who can't run routes, you know, they can't drop their weight, get in and out. That dude can do everything, man. Like that's that's what makes that package so unique.
1: It does make you unique, DJ. And it's kind of funny because when I look at Jamar Chase, um, I would say he's skilled, but he he's not quite um, as refined as like Devontae Adams or even Justin Jefferson. Yeah. And there, there's time for him to get that. Like It's different, but like Justin Jefferson is different. I feel like Justin Jefferson is an artist. Like he has yeah. an artistic part of his game that makes him man, impossible to kind of contain and slow down. Jamar Chase is a little more of a raw athlete playing. But it's funny because when I look at his juice, his juice kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah. I know he posted a good time, but he can, he's, 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 got a second, sneaky, he's got a second he gear. He's got a hand second
0: hand gear. When the ball goes he up, can. he can find another gear.
1: And I think that is the thing when we're scouting. And sometimes, D.J., you only can get that when you scout him up close and personal and see him track the deep ball and mm-hmm. see how when he sees it goes, oh, he goes and runs through it. It's almost like watching an outfielder track down a yeah. ball in the alley. You know, like the ball is up. He sees it off the bat. He can go and get it. That's what Jamar Chase does when the ball is up in the air, he, you're right. He is the burners and he goes and gets it. And that makes him. I mean, it makes him a hard guard. It makes him a hard guard.
0: Yeah. I mean, and this is kind of tying in what we were talking about running backs a little while ago when I was looking up some of those, those running uh, stats, rushing stats this year um, and kind of looking at those guys up there in the top. There are a lot of the kind of the bigger, sturdier backs. You know, when you look at the leading rushers right now, Jonathan Taylor, Joe Mixon, uh Dalvin Cook's up there who is still put together. Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, Najee Harris, Antonio Gibson, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette. Those are all the top guys. Dalvin Cook might be the only one in on that list that's under two hundred and you know, 15, 220 pounds. He's 210. Not a small, you know, not a small guy, 5'10, 210. But these guys, I what I'm getting at, Buck, is I look around the league and I think, man, it's kind of trending back towards a little bit more of kind of a big man's game, you know, as everything in college has gotten smaller and faster. Now the it it just cycles through, and now you're starting to see, you know what, big big guys beat up little guys, kind of that old that old uh, that old line.
1: Yeah, I I think that's true. I think we can make some uh, hard assessments and assertions about that. Nine on seven, you better have big people playing in a nine on seven drill. And when we talk about nine on seven, we're talking about an inside run drill where we have nine offensive players playing against, I mean nine defense players playing against seven offensive players. And you gotta be big, you gotta be physical, you gotta be able to run through contact. You have to be able to uh, have a physical presence. But on the edges, uh, we're seeing it's not necessarily the big uh, gargantuan players on there, but the guys who have enough functional strength to be able to yes. exist out there, but also come down and be a part of the blocking. Because now more than ever, you're seeing, hey I man, you better have some guys that can come down and crack, that can come down and block because if you wanna win in the in the postseason you have to be able to get big plays in the running game. And to get big plays in the running game, you've got to be able to block down the field.
0: Now, I was talking to a wide receiver coach a couple of years ago and we were talking about you know building a basketball team with the receiving core and having the different types of guys. You know, talk about the power forward, you talk about the guy, the pure route runner, the craftsman as we like to call him, and then you talk about your take the top off guy. And he said he brought up a great point, which was when your take the top off guy can also – help in the run game and be a physical presence. He said, that's a separator because most teams dedicate that take the top off guy. He has to play outside. He's a finesse player. Everything's just going to be over the top. When you got a guy that can do that, but I can also motion him down and he can dig out linebackers and help us in the run game as well. Like not every team has that guy like that. That is a kind of a unique combination of having a guy that can do both those things.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things that we're talking about DJ is, it's kind of like those core characteristics, right? Like, You've talked about some of the things that you look for in the Ravens. Some of the things that we used to look for with the Panthers when John Fox was there, it was always smart, tough, um, fast, and physical. And the toughness part of it cannot be understated. Like, you have to be guys that are willing to go in there and do the dirty work. And that not only includes the wide receivers that you're talking about there, but when we talk about cornerbacks, cornerbacks who will tackle, cornerbacks who will set the edges, when you're playing his own defense, like, and, and make tackles in space and be a factor in the run game. Because the days of being able to kind of cover up the, quote, unquote, cover corner, you can't do it. They find those guys. And those guys mm-hmm. always give up the big play. Because you see it when you miss tackles in space, man, it, it goes from a 5 yard play to, like, a 25 yard game. And so you got to have guys that can tackle. You can't have guys that are cowards um, on the perimeter. You got to be able to get that-
0: them. Speaks to the overall competitiveness of a player. I think if you look through in some of the busts at the corner position, you'll find that, I believe, is the most common uh, trait that they share, is that they were more finesse players. They weren't tough. They weren't rugged. They didn't get involved in the run game. When it got kind of messy and physical, that wasn't really their deal. Now, maybe the most fluid guy you've ever seen, he's going to run 4-3, all that kind of stuff. I'll let somebody else play with those dudes, man, because that's that's not – that's not where it's at right now in this league. They're gonna force you. You're gonna have to tackle on quick screens to the wideouts. They're gonna, they're gonna uh, you know, kind of uh crack and replace, and you're gonna have to get involved in the run game down there. Um, I just you can't play with a coward out there. You can't.
1: You can't hide them, DJ. You can't. Everyone has to be accountable. And I you now I will say this sometimes your culture can change some of those guys and make them play tougher because it's an expectation and no one wants to be in the room kind of kind of Slinking or slumping their shoulders in the chair when it shows up on film. But innately, those guys got to be tough guys and they have to be football players. And that includes everybody. That includes the wide receivers. That includes the, the cornerbacks and the guys who traditionally don't. You can't play it because if you put a guy out there, it's a liability and it always shows up. Man, it always hurts you uh, when the game matters the most. Guys have to be able to tackle, guys need to be able to block. You got to be a part of it.
0: All right, last thing, and I'll let you run here. You're at the dealership right now, uh, soldiering on. I want to know at this dealership, do we have a complimentary coffee, a complimentary bottled water, and is there any type of a Danish or muffin? Like, what that, what kind of complimentary services are you doing within the service department here?
1: Well, here's what I would say. I would say that uh, my normal Toyota place um, that is owned by my my one of my best friends in Tustin Toyota, like they have all those things. They okay. have a, a pool service like food thing, whatever. I'm at a coffee bar near my house. So right now, coffee bar has been kind of closed up because of COVID. <laughs> okay, we okay. don't have that. We do have complimentary bottled water. Okay. Um, I haven't seen, I'm looking around. I don't see any sweet treats. Dang, man. Um, And there's not a Starbucks nearby. So, yeah, so I'm struggling right now. So I won't yeah. name the dealership, but I'm struggling. But when yeah. I leave on the Yup Review, it may not be the best. You know, it may yeah. not be the best. Like maybe we need a little, little something.
0: That's a that's a that sounds like a two star. That sounds like a two star Yelp review, Buck.
1: (laughs) It It does. It it certainly isn't like when um, we used to go to some of those hotels and they would have the cookies out there. Oh yes. But I'm saying the the hot cookie. Six six
0: o'clock at night. What what time they put those cookies out at those (laughs) those little hotels? Like six o'clock, seven o'clock. All the scouts. We get in. We get into the hotel. We get into the hotel. Get settled in your room. Be like everybody. Everybody would say, "Yeah, we're all going to go get a workout in." Nobody got a workout in, and then it was like six o'clock, like uh, like clockwork. We'd all see everybody milling down in the lobby. Oh, look, the hot cook- the hot cookies are out. There you go.
1: Yeah, hey, it's it's hot cookies, and if they happen to have a complimentary little hors d'oeuvre or heavy yeah. heavy snack, you know, take that, save a little per diem, kind of pocket that a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's a veteran move, man. Um, all right, well, get your car fixed, man. It was fun, uh, fun catching up today. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with another episode, and we kind of preview this huge Thursday night game with the Chiefs and the Chargers. Should be a fun one. Uh, but that's gonna do it for us today. Appreciate you guys hanging. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks.